I'm glad that you're with us this morning, whether in person or online. I've had a sense that God wants something special to happen today. There's, there was a, a heaviness that as I came into the day, not a negative heaviness, but just a, a sense of there's something that's going to be said that's very important. And then the Klein kids get up and do that incredible reading and what they did and take all the oxygen right out of the room. So i got to be careful when I follow kids. Uh, but that ties right in to where Paul is going to take us today. If you are just joining us, we are in a lesson series that we're calling Beginner's Guide to Church. And one of the stipulations of this is that after we've all experienced 2020 and 2021 and all that COVID brought and all the changes gone on in our world, there's a real sense that we're all beginners at this. I, whether you've been in church for a day, a year, or 50 years, it doesn't matter because there's a sense that whether we liked it or not, whether we wanted it or not, we've changed and the world has changed on us. And so now there's a call there's a, a sense for us to learn how to be church in this new reality. And so if you're very new to the Christian faith, if maybe you're still trying to figure it out and how it all goes together, this is a great place to start for you. Because you're in a room full of beginners again. And to be our guide, to be our instruction manual on this, we are going to a document. It's an ancient document. It rose out of the first century by a man named Paul. You may know him as a title, the Apostle Paul. And Paul grew up most of his life being very zealous, being very passionate about the Jewish faith. In fact, so passionate that he was radicalized and set out to fight against anything that was not what he would consider the pure Jewish faith. And that set him on a course to be in conflict with and to persecute and prosecute Christians, believers in Jesus. Till he has a radical turnaround in his life, he encounters the risen Lord, and he goes from one that persecutes to one that proclaims. And... He then set his life about going around the known world at the time, planting churches, preaching the, the gospel message and planting churches. And then as he would move on from those churches, he would write letters back to them. And so this letter, this document that we have in our Bibles is known as 1 Corinthians, is one of a series of letters that he wrote to the church in Corinth. And that's why it has that particular name. And one of the thesis statements that I've had throughout this series is that I believe that we are now living in the 21st century in a cultural dynamic that more resembles, greater resembles the first century dynamics than any of the centuries in between. A, a hyper-spirituality, though not a spirituality focused on God. A, a real... Um, uh, diversity across our, our society and across our, our culture and, and in our country. These, these places where now cultures collide, all of that existed in Corinth and now it exists 
in our world in great, great um, amounts today. And so we've been on this journey, and if you've been with us, we've got the Scripture journals available. And so if you don't have one of these and you would like one, grab one from uh, our foyer. You've got my permission to go up and go right now. If you're online, you can come by the church sometime this week and grab one. But we love everybody to follow along with this, and I find this so helpful for so many people as we unpack not, not my words, but the words and the guides that Apostle Paul is uh, leading us in. So if you'll turn to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is on page 14 in these journals, or you can open your favorite app up. And as I thought about this, we're going to cover a big chunk of chapter 3. Now, don't let that scare you, because Paul gives us a wonderful creative outline to go through it. And what Paul's going to do is, is he's going to use some images. And so as I thought about this, does anybody recall, and you may have to be a certain age, what this toy is? Viewmaster. Now, there may be some here wondering, why is that boy holding that to his face? Because he's seen images on that. You would grab these Viewmasters and know they were not Wi-Fi capable. You have to put a little cardboard disc into them. And then it would tell a story. There's no audio here. This is old school. But you would see a series of images and you would just click through it. And I would tell you, it's almost hard if one of these is laying on a desk or on the counter somewhere. It's hard to walk by and not pick one up and want to see. Well, Paul's going to give us the Viewmaster outline today. And as we go through chapter 3, I want you to pay attention And we're going to encounter four word pictures. Now, you've heard it said, a a picture is worth a thousand words. This is why Paul's going to use these. Because Paul's going to teach us something about what he's trying to convey as far as how we're supposed to be the church in this world. And he's going to give us these four images. And we're going to unpack those, and I'll leave you with something I think Paul is leading up to. It's going to seem like he's mixing all of his metaphors up. It's going to seem like he's just kind of throwing everything at the page. But I think he's got something in store for us and a challenge for us at the end. Because if you remember, where we've come from so far is that he's challenging their idea of what wisdom is and how smart they think they are. And one of the ways that their wisdom was getting in their way is they were following different philosophers and they were pursuing different preachers. And they thought, well, I'm of this particular preacher. This is my favorite preacher over here. And that was causing some divisions in the church. And we talked about last week, Paul won't have anything to do with it. He says, that is ridiculous. And he's going to pick up on that theme. But now he's going to bring it to, not a conclusion, as he's not going to talk about it again. But he's going to bring it to why it matters so much that we pay attention to this. So if you have your Bibles... Chapter 3, I'm going to read through these and we'll grab our first word picture. Start in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh 
For while there is a jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For one says, I follow Paul. Another says, well, I follow Paulus. Are you not being merely human? Did you, did you kiss the word picture? Paul's, th- this is a powerful image. And he talks about infants not ready for solid food yet. This is the image that comes to mind. Parents, can you relate? I have these very clear memories of when my kids were this age. We'd go to a restaurant. And I was sure that the way we could bless the wait staff was to leave the restaurant. And when you looked at our table underneath, you're like, pray tell, did any of it make it into your mouth? Because there's an entire meal on the floor there. Paul is looking at this church. Don't miss the, the imagery. Paul's looking at the church and says, this is you. You're infants still. Now, you think that you're smarts. You think that you're wisdom. You think because you follow this, this preacher or that philosopher. You think because you're all caught up in who you follow that you're actually wise. Paul's going to let us know that wisdom and maturity have nothing to do with years on the clock. I have encountered... More than one person that was, had been in the church for many, many years. And yet, in their spiritual life, they're a mess. And they're still trying to grasp what it would be to actually take solid food down. So Paul is not paying them a compliment He's not saying, oh, you're so precious and you look so cute. He's saying, it's time to grow up. If you're going to be the church, it's time to grow up. And this is one more take where he's addressing very specifically these divisions that are among you. This idea that you're going to find your comfort, your security, your identity in identifying with a popular preacher of the day. He says, you're just a baby at that. And you're immature. And I can't even begin to give you the solid food yet because you would choke on it. This is why we don't give kids... Solid food before they're ready. Because it's a choking hazard. And Paul's saying, you would be in danger until you get ready to live a certain way. So he picks it up. He's, he's just done the, I follow Paul. Now another says, I follow Apollos. And so then he brings that whole thinking into question. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? I mean, th- I love how he's referencing to himself. But he's not asking who is Paul. He's like, What's a Paul? Why would you even consider giving your life to a Paul or to a Paulus? You're so out of order. Who are they? What are they? They're servants. They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered. If you want to underline something, underline this verse. But God gave the growth. So neither he who gives 
I'm sorry, so he, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And, and I love how the English Standard Version translates this. Some of them say they're together, but the Greek means they're one. They're, they're united in that. Not just working alongside, but they're, it's the same function, according to Paul. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. And so Paul gives us the next illustration, this next word. And it's a picture of a field being watered. It's, it's an agricultural one. And it's the idea that what you're doing is... The idea is what you're doing is you are growing up. Somebody came along and Paul talks about it and says... says there was a seed that I planted. There was a gospel message that I brought to you. And then Apollos came along and tended that field. And if you talk to anybody that does anything with agriculture or gardening or raises plants, they use a very common language. They'll say, I planted tomatoes. I planted squash. I cared for it. But Anybody that works with agriculture knows they're not the ones that causes it to grow. They're not the ones that, that suddenly make it happen. There's, a, there's an environment that can be set. It can be cultivated. It can be brought together. And Paul says, all of us, we're servants to bring that process together, but it still takes God in the middle of it to then create this miracle of growth. And so he defines Christian leadership in this context. Okay. If you want to be a leader, and I hope you do, if you want to be a leader in all aspects of life, it's my prayer you're a Christian leader. And he says, here's what that looks like. It's not by impressing people with your speaking ability, impressing people with, with your followers on social media. It's by serving. And so the leader in the faith, the leader in the church, the leader is the one that comes along and tends to the garden. The one that cares for, that gets their hands dirty, working with those they're trying to build up. They're trying to grow up in the Lord. And Paul says, that's all I am. God's got the power, but he uses me, he uses Apollos, he uses you. And together, faith comes into fruition. And we all play a role. And so, leadership is defined by the one willing to tend in care and in prayer and in service. And sharing who Jesus is to one another. So in many ways, just by us coming together, you're engaged in share and care and tending to one another. Every word of encouragement that I receive, I, I love to stand out and greet people on Sunday mornings as they come onto the campus. And so many of you will make a point to stop and encourage me in a certain way. This past week as we've gone through this series i've received numerous emails 
and Facebook messages and others just encouraging me at where this series is taking us. And that means so much to me. And so I am blessed by that. And then it gives me an ability to turn around and bless again. It fills my tank up. It's, it's caring for me in that way. And that's what Paul's saying is you, you want to be a leader? He, he's calling the world's definition of leadership into question. And it's not about gaining followers. It's about ministering to those that follow Jesus. Now, he's about to mix his metaphors right here. Because, and I didn't even catch this until I started preparing for this sermon. I want you to look at the very last part of verse 9. Okay, So he just finished talking about what it meant to plant and to grow and to water and seed and all that. And then he says this at the very end of verse 9. He says, you are God's field, God's building. I guess Preachers have mixed metaphors since the beginning of preaching. Because he just immediately, right in the sentence, changes right into the next image. So look with me, picking up in verse 10. According to God's grace, I'm sorry, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you're underlining, there's what you underline. No one else lays the foundation other than that what can be laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now, what he's doing there, he just listed three things that are permanent, that are stable and strong. And then he listed three things that are not strong. And he talks about a fire. First three can withstand the fire. Next three get burned up in the fire. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire. So this is an image now. We go from agricultural to construction. And it's the idea of laying a foundation. It's the idea of it going deep. And here's the picture of it right here. This is what Paul is describing. And Paul says, it was on me to lay the foundation. And as Paul traveled to Corinth, and we believe that he probably traveled alone, that he walked along and he was praying. And he was thinking about the foundation he was going to lay. He was making the plan. He was in conversation with God. He was, he was thinking about how he was going to preach the gospel. And he comes into this town, this very worldly, exotic kind of town. And he begins to proclaim the name of Jesus. And people believe. And so he lays this foundation that is Jesus Christ. That's the other thing we've got to understand. There's no other foundation that needs to be laid but Jesus. That's why we are firmly committed to say this is Jesus' church. This representation of church here at Western Hills is Jesus' church. That is the foundation. We are invited in to build upon that. And we will be tested in some ways. 
If we build with the strong material that comes from Jesus, then it will stand the test. If we build with some worldly philosophies or with some wisdom that I dream up or somebody else dreams up, it'll fail the test. But he's inviting us in to build up this space. Build up this place. And he's about to do something very significant with this metaphor right here. And this is why I think he's got it all the way from an infant that can't eat their food yet, all the way where he shows us his headed through its growing, and now he's going to refer to it as a building, because he's going to actually intensify this metaphor one more time, because the next word picture is really significant, and it may not be as significant to us, but I'm going to try to unpack it and show you how I think this is where he's headed. Here's the last part of three. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You cannot see the temple today. It was destroyed by Rome around A.D. 70. But we have, through archaeology and study and study of the scriptures, we have what we think it probably could have looked like. And here's an image of the model they have in Jerusalem, what it looked like. And if you were to approach the temple, and most people would approach it coming into Jerusalem from over the Mount of Olives, that when you hit the top of the mountain, the temple would dominate the skyline. It would be all you could see. In fact, it's often been described, you know, we, we get caught up in the idea that anytime you go into a large city or even a city of our size, there's several large churches around. Oh, there's a church over there and there's a church over there and maybe a mega church somewhere. And we think, well, every city kind of has its church or churches. See, the temple is not like that. It wasn't that Jerusalem, where the temple was located, was a city with a temple. It's the fact that it was a temple that happened to have a city around it. Jerusalem existed for the temple. The temple is why you went to Jerusalem. The temple is why you lived near Jerusalem. It dominated everything because in their way of thinking, the temple was proof that God was in their midst, that God was present with them because that's where he lived. Now, they didn't think of it as his house necessarily, but they did think of it as his his presence, clear and tangible. And so as long as the temple stood, you had God with you. And so when you come over the top of the hill on a pilgrimage, You'd see it, and it would gleam white in the sun, and the gold would shine. And you just would have an overwhelming sense in your gut that God was present. He was there, and He was powerful. And now Paul is saying, yes, you're being built up into a building, and it's the temple. And see, the temple was a place where people would go and meet and see and experience God. That's what the temple was for. It it was a place that you had an encounter 
with God. And Paul says, now that is you, the church. Not, not just me individually, but us together. When we come together as the church, we become the place where it shows and demonstrates the presence of God in the world. And Paul told this little ragtag group of people that made up the church in Corinth. And they didn't have much of a voice, so they thought. And they didn't have much of financing. And they didn't have much of the resources that we have today. And yet he looks at them and says, you're going to be evidence that God's here. So he looks at us the same way. So here's takeaway. The church is called to be the place where people see God, meet God, and experience God. If we're going to be the beginner's guide here, what are we supposed to be? The church is called to be the place where people see God, meet God, and experience God. So I've got some questions for us. I've got one big question for us as a church, and I've got three takeaways for you individually. Here's the big question for us as a church. Is Western Hills a place where people see God, meet God, and experience God? This is why this is such a part of our vision. A few weeks ago, I began talking about the vision that the elders are praying over and laying out and leading us into. And one part of that vision, Craig referenced it earlier today, it's this extra mile. Jesus says go one mile, then go an extra mile. That's two miles. So we just simply said, what's in two-mile radius around our campus? And what would it be like if we, if we felt the ownership that we're supposed to be the ones that help people see God, experience God, and meet God in that two miles? What does that look like? And so that's what we're praying about. That's why we're praying for these other churches. That's why we're praying for places like Hope Pregnancy, the Love of Christ Center. That's why we're reaching out and creating new partnerships. And we're seeing what, God, what doors God's going to open because if we were to suddenly disappear, would the community that's in two miles around us miss us at all? They would if we're a place where you see God, meet God, and can experience God. So to help us get there, I've got some questions. And if you want to, there'll be three of them. If you want to take a picture of the screen and write these down as we go, you're more than welcome Going back and thinking about the very beginning, this spiritual milk versus spiritual food. Who is somebody that's built you up in your faith? Who's somebody that's come along and they've planted and they've watered and they've constructed and they've built good? Who is somebody that's played that role? Who's an Apollos or a Paul that's done that for you? I just want to encourage you to think about that. And if they're still living... I want to encourage you to shoot them a text, send them an email, write them a note, pick up the phone, call them, and let them know. So the second question then is, whose faith are you building up? Who, who are you sharing with right now? Is it your children, somebody at work, somebody around you? And then the last one's this. In the areas you lead, how are you creating a space for people to experience God? That can be in your family. That can be at work. 
You could be a teacher, and that's your classroom. You could be a coach, and that's your sports team. Could be your corner of the cul-de-sac. However that plays out for you, in whatever role you've been giving even slight influence over others, where you can help change the dynamic, how are you creating a space to become a temple where others can see, meet, and experience God? Let me pray for you. Father, as we try to be the church, as we try to live out these words that Paul is challenging with, I am so grateful for men that poured into my life, for faithful women that have um, blessed me in so many ways, that have shaped my faith. So grateful for those that have gone before. So, Father, as we now take up the mantle to cultivate, to build up, to plant, to water, to serve, may you give us a passion for it, a burden for it, and a courage for it. Father, I want to pray boldly that you would let Western Hills be a church that in this time and in this place, we be that temple, the place where you're going to come and exist and others can come, see, meet, and experience you. Not, not so they fall in love with us, but so they fall in love with you. May we build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And in the name of the one that is the foundation, the one that laid down his life, we pray. Amen.